please remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to the first epistle of Timothy. That's Timothy chapter 6. We'd like to read responsibly this morning, verses 6 through 19. Allow me to read the even-numbered verses, the seven even-numbered verses. Would you read with me, please, the seven odd-numbered verses, beginning with verse number 7 through verse number 19. That's once again 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19, and reading responsively. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who, hath, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. May God add us blessing to the reading of his word. Let us make our prayer. And now, Holy Spirit of God, speak to us through thy eternal word this morning. Speak to every Christian heart. As always, Lord, if there be an unbeliever here that has not received Christ as Savior, we certainly pray for their soul. Pray for our children as well. Pray that you might speak to hearts we ask. Through thy word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1 Timothy 6, our last message on people this morning, and carried us through the wintertime. We looked at young men, we looked at lost men, babies, leaders, pastors, deacons, apostates, old men, widows, last week servants or slaves. The message that got cut out was for you ladies was a message on women. We lost a Sunday, as you know, from a storm. But our last message as we enter into of course, our missions conference next Sunday, and of course, then Palm Sunday and Easter Resurrection Sunday. I already have planned out what we're preaching for those two succeeding Sundays past next Sunday. But we want to look at this last message this morning from 1 Timothy 6 on people concerning the rich man. Our key verse, our text verse is verse number 10. I'd like you to read it with me once more if you have your Bible open to verse number 
10 of 1 Timothy 6. Let's read it together. Ready? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible says for the, the love of money, not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money. There's a huge difference. There's a book written 20 years ago, and uh, it was a book entitled in 1999, The Day America Told the Truth. They pulled over 2,000 Americans randomly, and they asked them, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Here are some of the, some of the answers. Uh, some of this should be frightening to us. 25% of those polled said they would leave their entire family for $10 million. This next number I thought was actually pretty low. 25% said they would abandon their church. I got to thinking about it. I says, if you want to abandon the church and get $10 million, and just as long as you tithe, tithe on that, you can leave the church. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Maybe I'm not teasing. <laughs> what would you do for $10 million? Uh, 16%, I bet it's a lot higher today. This is 20 years ago. 16% of Americans would renounce their American citizenship to gain $10 million. This is a sober one. 16% would leave their spouses for $10 million. 10% would, would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. This one's really sad and probably higher than the 3%. But 3% said they would give up their children for adoption for $10 million. I know we can laugh at some of these things here, but if we take it in seriously, it is kind of sad, isn't it? What will people do for money? Well, people do a lot of things for money. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no man can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other or hold to the one and despise the other. Jesus said he cannot serve God and money or money or, and mammon. So I have just three questions this morning. Verses 6 through 8 address our first question. And I want to ask the question this morning. We live in a society, by the way, that a lot of people think this way. But I ask you question number one this morning, just three questions. Is being rich bad? Is being rich bad? Now we have a lot of people that would answer that in the affirmative. If you're a socialist, you would say, it's not right that anybody has more money than I have. But I want you to consider, first of all, verse number six. Notice what it says with me as we begin our dissection of the passage. First Timothy 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment, back up to verse number five before we finish verse six. Supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself, but godliness, verse six again, with contentment is great gain. The answer, in answer to the question, and not meant to be a trick question, but to some it might seem so, is being rich bad? The answer is no. Now you said, preacher, you already contradicted yourself. You said no man can serve two masters. For either love the one and hold the other, despise the one and hold the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. Now I may shock you when I say this, and I'll just impugn myself, but you're just as guilty as I am, maybe more. I love money. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate that one amen from a lady. 
Karen and I love money. Everybody else doesn't love money. But no, we all love money. I love my mom. You say, what's the parallel? Mom called me this morning. I love mom. But Jesus said, if whosoever cometh unto me and hateth not his mother and his father and his brethren and his life and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I love my mom, but I really love God. I love money, not as much as I love my mom, but I really love God. You see, the answer to this question, and there's plenty of case evidence, letter A in our worksheet, I want you to consider the godly for a moment. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Pastor Palmer started a series of messages this morning in the Adult Bible Hour, of course, on the, the godly example or the man, one of the godliest men in the Old Testament, the man Job. The Bible says of Job in Job 1 and verse number 3 that his substance was 7,000 sheep, and I'm paraphrasing, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. And then it says this, so that this man was greatest of all men of the East, he was a billionaire that turned to bankruptcy. Pastor Palmer used that phrase this morning. He had everything. He was a billionaire and he went to bankrupt. But he was godly. Now we get to the end of the last chapter of Job. Job 42 and verse number 15 says this. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than, the, more than his beginning. And he doubled his blessings. Now, I've said it many times, I'll say it again here this morning at the outset, all of us are rich men in Christ. We're all, we're all rich, but we're going to be richer one day. <laughs> going to be far richer than, than, than you can possibly imagine. But godly men, godliness, you can be godly and also be rich. In fact, godliness many times brings riches. Think of Abraham. Just quick case evidences and just a rapid fire. Genesis 13, 2 says of Abram that he was very rich. We could quote verses about Jacob and Isaac. And, of course, become, and then, uh, becomes jo- Isaac or Jacob becomes Israel. And then Joseph, all rich men. And then how about David? Fill in the blank name. The Bible says that David, he was a man after God's own heart. And the Bible says at the end of his life, 1 Chronicles 29, 28, and he died in a good old age being full of days and riches in honor. 31 times, it's not in your notes, but 31 times I googled, or rather uh, online searched the, the phrase riches in honor. You find it 31, in 31 specific verses in scripture. It says that Hezekiah was full of riches and honor. It says Jehoshaphat was full of riches and honor. Asa was full of riches and honor. On and on we could go. David was a rich man. His son Solomon was a rich man, but he died foolish. So the Bible speaks about many rich men in the Old Testament that were godly and were blessed of God. In the New Testament, God speaks. Peter came to, and I've been to Israel, of course, now, and I saw the remains of what I think is probably was, is really the remnants of Peter's house. If the, the, the foundation, the Catholics had built a, uh, over the top of it, at a shrine, if you will. But you have every case evidence to believe in that little town of Capernaum on the northern Sea of Galilee, that that's where Peter lived. And if that's his foundation house, he was a rich man or a very wealthy fisherman. But Peter had the audacity to say to the Lord, to the Lord in Mark, Mark chapter 10, Lord, we've left all to follow thee. And the Lord said, hey, Peter, and I like to think that the Lord had a, used a little slang names for some of his Disciples, I like to think, he said, hey, Pete, hey, Pete, no man hath left houses 
or brethren or sisters or masters or mothers or children and lands said, shall not receive a hundredfold both now and this life, in life to come, eternal life. And so Christians, that's saints, that's princes and princesses of the king, we're the richest people on God's planet, God's, God's children. That's not fictitious, that's not fallacy, that's not fable. It's just biblical fact, plain fact. The Bible says that he has blessed us, Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And so we've been blessed by God in a wonderful way. It's he, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 says, remember the Lord thy God, for it's he that gives thee power to get wealth. So blessings and rich men, to answer the question again, is, is being rich bad? The answer is an emphatic, no. It's not bad to be rich. It's okay to be rich. In fact, it's a good thing to be rich. I just want to give you, it's not on your worksheet, but I have five sound bites, five practical truths. Let me just, just uh, state them to you and think about it for just a few seconds piece. Five practical truths on, on gaining, acquiring riches or on wealth. First of all, number one, being wealthy is usually... Better, here's the revelation, usually being wealthy is usually better than being poor. Now you can take your pick, but I always say between being wealthy and being poor, take it from life experience, it'd be better to be wealthy than to be poor. The Proverbs reminds us, or rather, uh, Ecclesiastes says money is a defense. Money is a defense. I mean, ask Jesse, Jesse Smollett if money was a defense for him. If being well-connected is not a defense. Proverbs reminds us that the borrower is servant to the lender. It's better to lend than to borrow. And all God's people said, well, some of you are borrowing. I know, like me, I borrowed all my life. And money is uh, it's better. It's usually, there's a qualifying word, usually better to be wealthy than it is to be poor. Number two, sound by number two. Neither pro- prosperity nor poverty is necessarily... Virtuous in, in itself. There's some people who take a vow of poverty and thinking that that's being spiritual. That might be just being dumb. It might be just being lazy. There's some people that take a vow to get prosperity, and we'll look at that here in the succeeding verses here in a minute here. But that could lead to your demises, we're going to find out. Soundbite number three I have on practical truths concerning money and wealth. Both, that's poverty and prosperity, both can, can be hurtful in the extreme. The Proverbs says, Proverbs 30, verse 8, Remove from me, far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be fool and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So both, that's prosperity and poverty, can be hurtful in the extreme. Sound by number four. Wealth should be acquired in proper ways. There's improper ways to acquire money. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. I don't know who claimed, or if anybody claimed the $700 million plus Powerball lottery in Wisconsin. And uh, there's one winner, I understand, in 700 plus million losers or thereabouts. And uh, uh, there's been books written and chronicles written about people that have won the lottery and it's been to their demise. 
let me, let me spell it out. It's not, we don't have a church covenant. We probably should have a church covenant. Shame on us. Shame on me as pastor. We don't have a church covenant like we should. But if I were to spell it out, if I was to be a, if I were to do it all over again, I probably would do it all over again the same way I did it, but I might do it something different. I might say, don't be a member of Harvest Baptist Church and spend $1 on a lottery ticket. Boy, it's quiet. I like that. I think that's good preaching. Thank you, that one anemic amen. Thank you, Brother Dale. I appreciate that. Don't buy a lottery ticket. Can I? Well, let me just be in the flesh for a moment here. Unless you want to be stupid. Unless you want to be greedy and envious. But don't cry when you don't win. It's uh, wealth that's unjust gain. <coughs> Boy, I got quiet all of a sudden here. Maybe I, I'm, I'm not trying to rub it in. I'm not rubbing. You, you don't do that. I know you don't do that. Sound bite number four on practical truths about money. Wealth should be acquired in proper ways. I give you that one, number five, rather. The, the, the Bible teaches good stewardship and frugality. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we're just stewards of what God has entrusted us with. God tells us to be conservative and be not wasteful, conservationist, and not waste what God has blessed us with. And so we see this, this truth. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment doesn't mean that gold is bad, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so uh, consider the godly for a moment, verse number six. But verse number seven, let's read it together, or rather just follow along as I read it, I should say. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Notice letter B on our worksheet. Consider the gold. Now, for the fourth time, nothing wrong with gold. I wish I had more. I wish I had some. You know, that just popped in my head. I just want you to know, because I've had people ask me this, why I have a wedding band. This is a lame excuse, but it's true. I get, I break out in a rash when I put my wedding band on. That's why I don't wear a wedding band, for the record. A bad rash on this hand. And uh, maybe I should say, preacher, have a rash. Amen. I'm married, for the record, and the wedding ring t- teaches that. That's about the only goal I have. In fact, I think it is the only goal I have. But I want you to consider the gold. Gold is valuable, but godliness is far more valuable. We can take our godliness with us, but we can't take our gold with us. And so we understand that its value, that is, gold's value is temporary, but the value of godliness is eternal. His righteousness endureth forever, the Bible says. And so then, verse number 8, notice what it says. But they that, what's the next word? Help me out, class. But they that, what? You're not with me. Oh, verse number, no wonder you're looking at the wrong verse. I told you verse number, uh, verse, oh, verse number, I got ahead of myself. Verse number 8 here. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Notice, Consider the goal. Consider not only the godly, consider the goal, verse seven, or gold, verse seven, but consider the goal. Let us be content with such things as you have. I alluded, I have a friend uh, that I could tell you who it is, and you know, I've already been mentioned. Well, let me just get it over with. So uh, a college mate of mine just signed for $2.5 million. He became the coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide this week. And... Uh, 
there's more to that story, a lot more to that story. They put him on a private jet and they flew him from Buffalo down and he's going to make $2.5 million a year for the Crimson Tide. Good for him. He's a graduate of my alma mater. But the goal in life is not to get a $2.5 million salary. The goal is to be content with such things as we have. Be content with, with what we, most of us won't make $2.5 million or even that anywhere as close to that in a lifetime. But our goal is godliness. Our goal is not gold. That leads me to question number two, verses 9 through 16, but really just verses 9 and 10 for time's sake. I will ask question number two. Let's look at verse number nine now. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Question number two. Can being rich lead to bust, B-U-S-T? Can it lead to ruin? Can it lead to bankruptcy? Spiritual and material and financial as well. The answer is yes, it can. Easy come, easy go. Millionaire one day broke the next day. But there's reasons for this. So it's not bad. Is it bad to be rich? The answer is no. Can being rich lead to bust? Oh, yes, it can. Quicker than you think. There's, first of all, the push to bust, the push. Notice what it says, but they that will be rich. Not those they that are rich, but they that will be rich. There's many people that are not rich that desire to be rich. There's a determination. They're going to drive. They're going to do everything that they can do to be rich. We're going to have another, there's an economic time bomb, this financial time bomb that's ready to explode in America in the next year, two, three, four years for sure. It's called the student debt loan. It's going to implode us, I think. It's going to be worse than the housing crisis of uh, 10, 10, 12 years ago. It's going to destroy us. We've got over a trillion and a half dollars of student loan debt. We've got all these kids going to college for jobs that are not, are not there. They could rack up $100,000, $150,000 of debt. And then they have to pay it back, and most of them are going to default. Many of them are going to default and not pay it. Because not everybody, not bashing doctors, but not everybody can be a doctor. Not everybody's meant to be a lawyer. Some people have to be, and pardon me if you happen to be a, afraid to, a factory worker or, a, or a whatever you might, a retail worker, whatever you might think, or a restaurant worker, whatever you might, you might think is a low-paying job. Some people got to do that. Not everybody can be rich and famous. Not everybody can be, the, again, the Jesse Smollett's of the world or the Jeff Bezos of the world. Some people have to work for a living. But some people have the push, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. You don't have to be rich to fall into temptation, you just have to to desire to be rich. But then I want you to notice the pitfalls, letter B. They fall into temptation. There's so many temptations out there. There's a show on television called Temptation Island. No, I've never seen it, but I've seen the commercials. I'm sure it's not a good, 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 just by the commercials, I've noticed that it's not anything to any Christian should be watching. Temptation Island. Temptations, there's many temptations. When people get money, they get temptations. It's an adult crowd, I have to be a little careful, but it's just amazing. I, Richard Kraft, you know, I'm sorry, just, you know, here's a billionaire. He's got a lot of things going for him. He's got a world championship football team several times over. He's a billionaire. He probably has a beautiful wife, a wonderful life, but it's not enough. He falls into temptations and trials and so forth. There's pitfalls. 
But then the fallen temptations, but they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare. That word snare is the word pegas. It's the word for traps. There's many trappings with desiring to go after money. When you go after the Benjamins, when you go after the, the, the I remember the first Ben, you ever remember the first Ben Franklin you ever got? I do. I was a 16-year-old kid. I ever tell you this story? True story. I worked all summer as, uh, on a construction job. Got paid, I think, a dollar an hour back in those days. And so after 100 hours, maybe it was $2 an hour. It wasn't much. I think it was a dollar an hour. And finally, near the end of the summer, I worked 100 hours. Mr. Wilbur gave me, for my paycheck, not a check, but a $100 bill. I was a 16-year-old kid. And me and Mike, my buddy, his son, we went to the local Dairy Queen, and back then, now young people, it's hard to believe this, but you used to be able to buy a vanilla ice cream cone for 10 cents. I know for a fact. So we waltzed up to the counter, and there was a teenage girl walking behind the counter. We were the big men that we were, and it says, we'll take two small vanilla ice cream cones. <laughs> we took our vanilla ice cream cone, and back in those days, they handed it to you, and then you paid. We took a lick, and then we pulled out this big bin that we were. We pulled out our $100 bill and went to pay for it. And it's a... <sighs> We can't cash that. Well, I'm sorry, that's all I have. <laughs> I think we had a dime. I can't remember the rest of that story, but true story. I was a big man. I had a $100 bill. And you know, I figured out a long time ago, I'd rather have $100 bills in my pocket than $1 bills. So I'd rather have Benjamin Franklin's and George Washington's. And all God's people said, you're very good. I've been impressed. So, but there's the perils, there's the trappings. With money comes temptation, with money comes snares and traps in life that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that money. Not only that, they they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lust. The word hurtful is the word buberos there in the the Greek language. It means means, uh, hurtful or injuring or marring or damaging. I think, and I have a particular person in my head that's many years have gone by, and I've, I, this story can be told millions of times over, I'm sure, probably hundreds of millions of times over, but in my personal life experience, a person, a father that had everything, he had a nice wife, he had nice children, he had a nice job, but he decided he wanted to have it all. And he worked and he worked and worked and worked and worked, and he lost his wife. And he lost his kids. They got another wife, and he lost that wife. I'm just being honest with you. Then he had a death in his family. Then he had a lot of tragedy in his family, and I had to be careful, but I don't, nobody knows who I'm talking about. Don't ask me afterwards. I won't ever tell you. But that story can be replicated, and it has been replicated over and over and over again millions of times because the, of the lust of money, what's it take to make a rich man happy just a little bit more than he already has? So there's a push for, that can lead rich men to bust, that push for a willful determination to be rich above all everything else, lose morals, lose scruples, and lose uh, character. There's the pitfalls, and the false, many temptations, there's perils, many traps, many snares, 
various pollutions, many foolish and hurtful lusts. And then there's, the Bible goes on to say, and it's painting a picture here, verse number nine, which drown men, which drown men in destruction and perdition. That word destruction, we know what that means, most of us, all of us, but the word perdition is the word that means a loss not of being, per se, but a loss of well-being. Not a loss of being, but a loss of well-being. It's found two other times in our Bible. One spoken about in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 3, about the Antichrist. And another time it's found in John's Gospel about Judas Iscariot, the treasurer, remember? And you know the rest of that story. They lost their well-being. Then they lost, then eventually they lost their being. And Judas has been in hell for nearly 2,000 years, and the Antichrist will be in hell for all eternity. Eventually, ultimate eternal damnation is the, the, how many people are going to go to hell because of the dollar bill, because of the love of George Washington more than love of Jesus Christ. Now, that may not be popular preaching, but that's true. And so, can being rich lead to bust? Yes, it can. Is being rich bad? No, it isn't. We get to, before we get to verses 17 to 19, just glance again one more time last time. Oh, pardon me, I got ahead of myself here. Look at verse number 10 for I got one more point here. For the love of money, not money again, but the love of money is the root. Picture a tree. You gotta have a, if you have life in the tree, you've got to have roots. Root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through many sorrows. Notice the pathway to apostasy. They've erred from the faith. And the self-affliction, they pierce themselves through with many arrows. I don't know how many young people there are. We've got some 20-somethings and 30-somethings and 40-somethings. And to be honest with you, we have some 50-somethings. Oh, yes, I forgot about I don't want to leave the 60-somethings out and the 70-somethings out. We have people, and again, I have to be elusive on purpose. I, I visit with these people all, all the time, every week. It seems like I have one or two types of these types of visits. People that are going to serve God one day, but right now they've got to make their money. They're in their 20s. They're in their 30s. Maybe in their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s. Maybe their 80s. Now they're enjoying their retirement. They, they're rich on this earth, but they're not rich toward God. There's a pathway it's found in the love of money that leads to apostasy, erring from the faith, and piercing yourself through many self-inflicted wounds and arrows, self-affliction. That leads me to the third question, verses 17 and 19. In verse number 10, or verse number 11, verse, number, verse 16, I wanted to read those, but it's, there's an interjection here, and Paul is a word of praise reminding, but all thou, man of God, flee these things. There's a, there's, there's a better life to come. Stay, stay with what's valuable, righteousness, peace, mercy, faith, meekness. Live for God. Flee those things that are unprofitable. Follow after godliness and not gold. And that brings me to verses 17 and 19. You say, preacher, well, I guess it's not, it's not good to be rich because being rich leads to many foolish and hurtful lusts and, and uh, leads to, to uh, the, the willful determination to go away from the faith. No. Being rich is not bad in and of itself. But being rich can lead to bust. But thirdly, verse number 17, notice what it says. Charge them that are rich in this world. Here's the question. Can rich men, number three, can rich men bless? Oh, yes. Rich men can bless. 
Church, I mean, the rich in this world, we had this week, and you know, I just uh, two weeks ago now, in fact, I've been with some so-called prominent people here in the last, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and tomorrow for several hours, and some of you know the prayer of Jabez, by the way, the book, that's Bruce Wilkinson, Bruce Hebel's with us now, he's a close counterpart and close friend of Wilkinson, and he's, uh, they're well-connected, let's put it that way, very well-connected. And last week, we were with the, I was with the, the heir to the throne of the Days Inn hotel chain. I think he's got a couple dollars, three or four dollars at least. I'm being a little facetious. He's very well connected. He's met people like Billy Graham numerous occasions. Uh, numbers of famous preachers who are name dropped in their names, you would know them. He's rich, but he's more than he's rich, he's godly. And they've given away millions of dollars to the cause of Christ and still do that. So I want you to know, can rich men be blessed? And the answer is an emphatic, or can they bless rather? And the answer is yes. Notice, first of all, letter A in verse number 17, by a purposeful repudiation. There must be a repudiation, first of all, of, of what? Look what it says here. Of worldly wisdom. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. And so, notice that Worldly wisdom, God doesn't, has a low priority on worldly wisdom. In fact, he says the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.20, God hath chosen, made the foolishness of, or the wisdom of this world foolishness. He gives three illustrations in Luke's gospel alone. He talks about the rich young ruler. Here is a young entrepreneur, this rich young ruler and. Luke 18, verses 18 to 25, we won't take time to read it, but in verse 22, of course, in the paraphrasing in the, the story, the rich young ruler comes, to, ruler comes to God and he asks the question and comes to Christ, uh, how can I inherit eternal life? And the Lord gives him a test and he says, go and sell all that thou hast and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. It was a test. And he miserably failed it because the Bible says that he went away very sorrowful for he was very rich. And then the Lord said, it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes rich men get blinded by gold. You know, it used to be the back of mirrors. Many old mirrors still have this. Mirrors, if you took off the backing, it'd be a pane of glass. You could see through and see out through the outside. But when you put a veneer of silver on the back, you get a mirror. And all they see is yourself. And when men decide to go after gold, all they see is their silver, all they see is their selves. And they can't look beyond. Like the rich young ruler, all they could see was himself and his great riches that he had now, but Lord, he couldn't see beyond that. Then there's the rich, rich fool in Revelation. And I didn't call him that. Jesus Christ called him that in Luke chapter 12. Lord said of him, he's built barns and greater barns. You know the story, most of you. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The rich fool is the person that lays up for himself and doesn't lay up for God. And then the Lord gave the, the third story in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, which we might know the best of the three, the story of the rich lost man. He fared sumptuously every day. You know the story. 
But one day the rich man dies and is buried. Lazarus died and he was carried. The rich man died and he was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. For what shall a profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, a rich man can bless if he will have a willful repudiation of worldly wisdom. And he'll not be like the rich young ruler or the rich fool that thinks that it's just go on forever and ever. Or the rich lost man that never thinks of God. But the rich man that is blessed, verse number 17 to finish out the verse, it says... Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above. Consider the, uh, the willful untrust of uh, he's a repudiation, pardon me, of a willful untrust in the living God. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God is able to make all grace abound unto us. God is able to do great and mighty things which we know not. He's able to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, not our riches, not our wisdom. So we are to trust in the living God. Abraham was blessed not because he was an entrepreneur, but because he trusted and he walked by faith and God blessed him. It could be said of all the patriarchs as well. And so that leads me to letter, verse number 18 rather. Notice it says that they do good, or pardon me, yes, verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. You see, rich men can bless if they, will be, they have a performing response, if they will do good. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 11, I don't know if Brother Tony is going to speak on this or not, but those 2 Corinthians 8 is a Classic passage of scripture on grace giving, some people call it. It's been coined as the last hundred years at least, uh, faith promise giving. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 11, Paul said, Now therefore, he said to the church of Corinth, perform the doing of it. A faithful performance, a response to the challenge to give as the Lord has blessed. And we are to use God's riches for his glory. You see, charge rich men, verse number 18 now, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. They are to use God's riches for his glory. But then number two on our worksheet, give freely and with gross or extravagant generosity. Proverbs 11, verse 24, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat or is proper, but attendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. Given it shall be given unto you, Jesus said. The phrase says, be willing to distribute, willing to communicate. Brother Ray is not here this morning. He's in Albany. He'll be back tonight, Lord willing. But he finished the board, and I don't know if you can crank your neck 180 degrees. I know it's hard to do that, some of you, especially over here, but... I'm seeing now the 21 lights that we have lit up. And every one of those lights, some, there's a light in Russia. There's a light in southern India. There's two lights in Australia. Six lights in, or five lights in Africa. Just one light in all of South America. Seven lights in North America, Canada. 
Those lights are there. Not a one of those people, I can guarantee you this, not a one of those people get government funding from the United States government to be where they're at. Every one of them are there because some people, some churches are willing to distribute, willing to communicate. Not only when we think of communicate, we think of speaking, but it's also sharing our blessings, our bounty, our money, in other words. That leads me to verse number 19. Notice not only verse 17, a purposeful repudiation of worldly wisdom and of a willful untrust in the living God, but a performing response to use God to, uh, or God-given riches to give him glory and give freely with gross generosity. But then verse number 19, by a persistent repetition, laying up in store for themselves. I think this can be said of all of us folks that are getting older. Don't you wish you would have put more in money in retirement when you were younger? Amen. Some of you are honest. Some of you are not honest. We all wish we would have done more when we were in our 20s or 30s or 40s, whatever. Now you get older and you say, oh boy, what's going to happen? Be nice to have a big nest egg, you know? Nothing wrong with that as long as you don't take your eyes off God. You hear the Bible says, laying up in store, here's how a rich man can bless. He can lay up in store for themselves a good foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than his lady, which is Jesus Christ. Against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Two things, and we're done. Give regularly and consistently. And you were coming into missions, and I didn't necessarily plan this this way, but God in his sovereignty allowed this to be. Our last message on peoples, on rich people, that's where 1 Timothy 6 ends. And we're going to Faith Promise Missions next week. Give regularly and consistently. We're going to give Faith Promise cards for a period of one year starting next Sunday. And we just do it for two Sundays, of course. And then number two, write this down if you would please. Give to what counts the most. It's okay to buy new cars. It's okay to buy new houses. It's okay to have even some toys. Don't misunderstand me. But give to what counts the most. And give to what God has called to, to bless. Stuart Hamlin, how many know the name? He ran for president of the United States and almost won. Ran, a guy, ran against, uh, on a Republican ticket against a guy named Ike. You might know who won that race. But he also was a frequent uh, friend with a guy named John Wayne. Yeah, he was in the Westerns. He was a country singer. He met a guy named, one day, a young preacher by the name of Billy Graham. Stuart Hamlin got gloriously saved. And he wrote a song called, It Is No Secret What God Can Do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. But then he wrote another song in our hymn book, and we're going to turn to it in just a second and sing it here. Until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, I will carry on. He gave up Hollywood, he gave up the Westerns, he gave up his music and his radio show all across America. He did run for president, didn't make it. But his greatest treasure was he decided to make give the last part of his life to give what counts. And, give, and he gave consistently. And he, gave, he was a rich man, and he realized where his riches came from. And one, one day, I hope we sing, uh, we're going to sing page 29 in a minute, but if we sing verse 2, We'd sing, it will be worth it all. One day we should sing, it was worth it all. If we laid up in store in heaven like this rich man, 
All of us are rich in Christ Jesus, and all of us can give as God has blessed us with, that we may live in store for not only this world, but for in the life to come. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Blessed, we pray, as we close our service this morning in the uh, moments of invitation. Lord, help us to be about your business, we pray. Lord, Christianity is not about M-O-N-E-Y, it's about H-E-A-R-T. Lord, if you have our heart, you'll have our wallet. Lord, and you bless us, there is a gives and yet increases and there is that withholds more than is proper and intended of poverty. Lord, help us to realize it's okay to be rich. We're all rich. But Lord, help us to not be led astray by our riches, but Lord, to communicate and distribute, be rich in good works, and we'll thank you for it. I pray you bless in our moments of invitation. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Page 29, as we stand at our feet here, let's sing verse number one quickly here. Or 28 it is, I'm sorry. Page number 28, as we stand at